Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peak Performance Podcast. My name is Kyle. I go by Coach Kyle. And with us is Dr. K. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about heavy metal poisoning, uh, chelation, and everything in between. We talk about how we get heavy metals in our bodies, what they can cause, how to get them out of us, um, different methods of doing that, things you can experience, and uh, basically everything in between that. Right on. Thank you, Dr. K. Let's get started. Okay, so we're talking about heavy metals today. Dr. K, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Kyle. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. I just uh, got back from my house construction, so I'm, I'm building a house right now. And the, uh, the guy making the backyard slope is trying to make his life easy on him and, uh, and trying to cut my yard where I have less flat yard and he has more slope on it so he can make the next house very easy for him. So I got into a bit of a hostile negotiation with him, uh, but it's okay. I think we figured it out. Uh, so we're starting a little later than we I would have liked, but uh, overall pretty good. That's okay. Um, mostly because this is pre-recorded anyway, so people have no idea when we're recording this. It could be 2 a.m. right now. It could be. It's not, though. I don't, I don't think I'd be fresh enough at 2 a.m. to record a podcast. No. <laughs> yeah. um, but in other news on the house, my cabinets went in, and they are gorgeous. Got uh, matte black Euro line cabinets. So they are manufactured in Europe, meeting the stringent European uh, regulations. And they're no VOC and they're all waterproof and there's no wood. So if there's ever a spill or a leak, it won't grow mold. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I'll have to put so those on my next house. Yeah, there you go. So I'm pretty excited. Excited about that. Um, anything else going on in your world before we dive into heavy metals? Really not much. I'm just excited to talk about my favorite subject ever. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Your favorite test subject? <laughs> That's right. I mean, without Kyle, I wouldn't know half the things that I know. Mostly because I experimented them on him. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why we need biohackers. We need people to do the risky things so we can find out what does and what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, and, and honestly, that's one of the goals of this podcast. We want to get information out there and, and we do know what we're talking about, but we don't know everything and it's always a learning process. Um, so if you have any comments or suggestions or, um, questions, please put them in the show notes or the comments or contact us on one of our social media platforms. Or send Kyle an email. He loves email. Oh, I get so many emails. <laughs> Well, before we dive in, um, I'm not a doctor and Dr. K is a doctor. However, we are not giving any medical advice and do not do anything uh, that we talk about on this podcast without first consulting with your uh, physician and preferably under the guidance of a knowledgeable and well-trained physician and anything having to do with heavy metals. Be uh, further, before we jump in, one last announcement. This episode is sponsored by Toxic Roots. Toxic Roots is my coaching company. What we do is we get to the root uh, of your health issues. So we test for various toxins and uh, basically we help you pull them out and we revitalize your, your life. And basically at the end of it, you're feeling a brand new human in six months. So heavy metals. What is a heavy metal, Dr. K? Well, a heavy metal is a metal that's very heavy. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So it's not like a band? I'm sorry? I thought it was a band. Like, you know, like some music. I think you're on the wrong podcast, Kyle. I think we're going to have to switch gears now. 
Oh, we're not we're not rocking out to heavy metal. No, not today. Sorry. <laughs> oh, dang. Maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's get into it. So heavy metals. Um, typically they're defined as toxic metals. Um, things that are harmful to us in one way, shape, or another. Uh, things like lead, arsenic, mercury, cadmium, aluminum, uranium, tin, barium, bismuth, and the list goes on and on. And some of those are common household items like aluminum, you know, aluminum foil, bismuth found in Pepto-Bismol, uh, tin, like tin cans. So yeah, we're being exposed in our everyday lives. Um, and some of these metals for some people can create a big, big problem. So it's just, it's just certain metals, right? It's not like every metal under the sun. No, you could sit there and lick titanium all day and it won't do a, a thing to you. Oh, huh, interesting. So, so like, um, I've heard of people taking like silver. Um, so silver is not a heavy metal. It's not a toxic metal, right? No, most toxic metals are toxic because they carry a charge. Um, inert metals such as stainless steel, titanium, gold, silver, they they just sit there. They don't really do anything. So they're not harmful. There you go. You heard it here. Eat all your gold. <laughs> You're safe. Golden <laughs> Schlager um, liquor, perfectly safe. Can't recommend it. Perfectly safe. Uh, that's funny. I actually know quite a few supplements that put um, silver and gold in them. Um, I mean, yeah, they definitely both have healing properties. Silver especially has a long studied healing properties. Gold does as well. Not quite as much as silver. Probably because it's more expensive. Um... But this show is not about the good metals. This show is about the bad metals. The bad metals. Okay, so these bad metals. What is the worst of the bad metals? So worst is a relative term because each the one heavy you metal. Have. I'm sorry? <laughs> the one you have? Is that the worst? I mean, typically, yes. The one you have is worse than the ones that you might not have. Um, but each heavy metal causes different problems. In a short summation, this is what I tell my patients. Mercury tends to affect the brain, the gut, and peripheral nerves. Lead tends to affect the heart and bones. Uh, cadmium affects the liver. Arsenic affects the kidneys. Aluminum also affects the brain. And then so on and so forth. Each heavy metal has its things that it affects. And there is a reason for that. Um, the problem is that, and I always talk about mercury. It's just the easiest one to talk about. Mercury and a mineral called molybdenum compete for the same receptors in the body. The same thing is true for lead and calcium. That's why they have their individual things that they affect. Oh. So, so with these toxic metals are like, is, is the dose, the poison or is any level of the, them toxic? Like, um, how, how does this work? Like, cause I assume most people walking around have some kind of heavy metals in their body because of the world we live in. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, I, you know, I have a bit of a confirmation bias in my office because most people coming to me have heavy metals and so most tests are positive but not everyone does um i get plenty of negative tests mostly those tests are negative on spouses friends family of my patients who get drug in because the patient is saying hey i have this problem maybe you do too um so that's where the confirmation bias kind of ends but no absolutely because i have a wide range so let's let's start with this and the testing that i do and we're going to talk about testing momentarily. When the testing I do, the average high that I see that people have issues with are between 20 and 30 uh, as a point scale. It's termed micro, micrograms per milliliter of urine because we do urine testing. 
<laughs> and um, but I have patients that my, the highest I've seen is 250. The lowest I've seen with symptoms was a mercury of four. And hmm. arguably the woman with the mercury of four had way worse symptoms than the woman with a mercury of 250. So this is, is more, it's like your body, like whatever your body has can handle or whatever its threshold is, it is more, not the actual, actual, like absolute level of metals in your body. That's hundred percent correct. I'm sure that there's people walking around with a marker of a thousand that have no idea and will never be tested because they feel perfectly fine. Hmm. Okay. So it's not, so everybody has a different, uh, capability of, of having a different load of these heavy metals. And what I've seen uh, with a lot of people is um, it's kind of an allostatic load, uh, meaning that that depending on what's going on in your life, like if you have a lot of emotional stress, a lot of um, physical stress, like you're maybe working out too much and your girlfriend just broke up with you um, and um, you're, you know, you're working your job 80 hours a week, then your threshold for something like having toxins is much lower than someone who his life is perfect and everything else, but just has heavy metals or toxins. Is that something you, you see in your practice? Yeah. Um, I call those cliff events where basically I, we're all in a slow decline as we age. Everyone is. It's just the build of toxins and senescent cells, which are kind of dead cells and other life factors. Well, then you can have a cliff event, which is where some major stressor happens in your life. Um, oftentimes it's illness. Um, the COVID vaccine or not the COVID vaccine, the COVID infection just because of how nasty that virus is. Uh, I've seen pregnancy for a lot of patients uh, be their trigger. Um, could be something like a heart attack or stroke, could be familial stressors, but something pushes them off the cliff. And that's normal when people show up in my office. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, for me, when I came in and tested, I had, uh, you said you're, you're high for patients. Usually they have high metals if they're 20 to 30, right? That's just the average number I see. I consider anything over 10 to be high. Okay. So when I came in and tested the first time, I was 34, if I remember correctly. Um, and I had every symptom under the, under the sky. I had, you know, brain fog, fatigue, hormonal dysregulation, um, thyroid dysregulation. I had gut issues. I had allergies that came out of nowhere. Um, mental health issues. Uh, so I had, I had just about everything. Um, but we probably haven't talked about it. when I came to you and I was searching, I was also in the early years of my marriage. Obviously there can be a little bit of a, a stress component there working that out. Um, but you know, that's part of marriage you grow. Um, but, but it still, it still wasn't ultra simple. I wasn't feeling well physically. And I was also working crazy hours at work, uh, trying, trying to accelerate the business I was working in. So that kind of could have, spurred on my my cliff my cliff event if you will could have made what tipped me over the work basically yeah that that absolutely could do it stress uh stress creates adrenal fatigue once your adrenals wear out that's it then your body starts to crash because all of your hormone levels start to get thrown off because your cortisol isn't spiking at the right times yeah that's that's exactly what happened to me i had a uh i had a dutch test done and my um so there's like a there's a graph that your cortisol is supposed to follow. And I was just kind of under the graph the whole time, just cruising, like no cortisol. <laughs> so my body just wasn't making any, any stress hormones. I wasn't getting fired up. Yep. So I would love to have an episode in the future, just about adrenal fatigue and stress hormones and all that. 
But a brief summation, you guys have to think of adrenals like a sponge. You can only squeeze it so many times before it's empty and you can't get any more drops out of it. And um, most people, they're constantly re-wetting their adrenals when they are uh, sleeping. But if you're in constant adrenal fatigue, your body's in, uh, it never managed to re-wet the sponge. So it's just always dry. Mm, okay. And so that's, that's yet another stress that you can add on. So that's the effects of stress, right? It's the effects of stress that leads to more stress. Yeah. So an interesting, an interesting thing that I've seen a lot is that um, the body doesn't necessarily interpret different types of stresses different ways. So it's a stress response in the body and it's generalized based on all types of stress, physical stress, mental stress, emotional stress, uh, and even toxic uh, stress. So when you have all these things going off and that kind of leads towards that cliff event, you're just building on the total stress response in the body, leaving you in this constant fight or flight, which exacerbates the issues with your adrenals, which then leads to what we would consider burnout. Yep. That sounds about right. And there's a reason I use the word cliff event, because once you start rolling down the cliff, it just, it's like a snowball effect. It'll keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's really hard to stop yourself from rolling off the cliff. So this is why, like, after I, I had all my symptoms and I came into you and I had a 34 and we started treatment, um, even when I got down to a, a 10, I still, I still wasn't feeling like I felt before, even though I might've had 20 in my body. I did not follow that in the slightest. Yeah. No, so, well, yeah. So I'm, I might've had a fairly decently high burden of mercury in my body for a long time. But when I went in and tested, I was 34. When we started pulling it out and say I got to a 10, I still didn't feel as good as I did when I was younger and probably had more than 10 because I fell off that cliff. Yeah, unfortunately with you, you came in pretty sick. You were at the higher spectrum of um, issues than most of my patients. I would say most of my patients, they start to feel better and better doesn't mean perfect, but better um, after about 10-ish treatments, usually once they're about a third of the way through treatment, they start to feel better. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they won't feel perfect usually until the very end uh, because yeah. your body's, once it catches on that there's all these toxins in there, especially once you start going through treatment and your body starts to get smart, it wants all of it gone. It's not going to settle for half gone. Which, I mean, I like that. It, all of it gone sounds great. I don't want some toxins left. I want all of the toxins gone. Well, that's what's interesting. I get patients um, once in a while that they'll come, they'll come, they'll do treatment. They'll be about halfway done and they'll be feeling pretty good. Maybe not perfect, but good enough that they don't want to come in anymore because uh, let's be honest, coming and see me is annoying. Um, you have to get a needle every time in your arm. Um, mm -hmm. So they'll, they'll stop coming and uh, they'll disappear. And inevitably, I'd say 9% within six to eight months will be calling again saying, hey, the symptoms are starting to come back. What's going on? And the answer is, well, you, let's let's put it like this. You came to me with a 100% toxic burden. Whatever your number is, let's call it 100%. We brought you down to, let's say, 50%. And you know, suddenly you have 50% more space for your body to do things and repair and recover and heal. So you're feeling pretty good. But then as time goes on, your body starts to acclimate to that 50% and becomes your new 100%. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so the goal is to get rid of, get it down to zero. So when you acclimate, you can basically just maintenance, keep all the toxins out of your body, correct? Correct. And so zero is honestly an unrealistic goal. My goal is to get you to a, 
a mercury of below five, you'll never get it hundred percent gone. Um, because, um, I use a lot of metaphors and analogies when I'm talking to my patients. So uh, I'll explain this one. Um, I call it the bathtub example. Imagine your body is a bathtub and the bathtub is full of water and, uh, the water has some dirt in it and everyone's has a little bit of dirt. Um, and then let's say, let's say Kyle, for example, had a lot of dirt and a little bit of dirt is floating in the water, but most of it is settled at the bottom. So what we do with chelation is we take a cup, we scoop it through the bathtub and we pull out whatever we can pull out. And in, when you're first start, you're going to pull out a ton of dirt because there's a ton to be had. The mud at the bottom is thick. But then as you do each one, less and less comes into the cup until eventually you're chasing like individual pieces of dirt with each cup. And let's be honest, you're never going to get every single piece of dirt. So to that, I say challenge accepted. So I'm going for a hundred percent. Now I may never get there, but I'd like to be as humanly close as possible to a hundred percent detoxed. Um, and that's one of my metaphors, ABC, always be chelating. That's I got him a shirt that says chelation station for his birthday last year. That's going to be his next birthday present. I'm spoiling. The there we go. <laughs> ABC. I love it. So, uh, we've mentioned in chelation a few times. Um, and before we dive into explaining what that is, uh, I think we should go back and explain testing. Testing sure. for heavy metals. Um, and I think we should mention that we have a, uh, a comprehensive guide coming out on uh, testing for not only heavy metals, but um, all toxins. Best way to do it, the best labs. Um, and if you think you have a toxic burden or even just want to rule out a toxic burden, this might be a really good uh, resource for you to look into because uh, it'll help you skip most of the roadblocks that I ran into in my toxin testing journey. So when it comes to testing for, for heavy metals, uh, how do you, how do you, well, let's, let's step back. How do, how do people generally test? So testing is probably the most complicated and hardest part of this entire journey to explain to people. So if you go to your regular physician and say, I want to be tested for heavy metals. I licked a mercury thermometer yesterday and I think I have mercury poison. They are going to order a heavy metal blood panel through Quest or LabCorp, whatever your preferred vendor is. And they're going to do a blood draw on you. They're going to measure your mercury, arsenic, and lead levels in your blood. They only measure those three. Those are the only three available through Quest or LabCorp. As far as I know, there may be some super specific tests for others, but I'm not aware of it. And um, they're going to draw your blood. They're going to see what's in there, and they're going to give you a result. Now, the first part of that is mercury, for example. Quest considers a mercury of zero to nine in your blood to be normal, and anything 10 or higher is a problem. So the first thing we're going to do is put on our common sense hats and say, why is a mercury of nine okay, but a mercury of 11 is terrible? If you can have mercury of 11, the Department of Health of your state is going to call you and figure out where you got your mercury from. But if you're mercury of nine, they're going to, no one's going to say a word. So using our common sense hats, we're going to realize any mercury levels in our blood are bad. I think everyone so anything, can Anything over zero, really. I mean, so like, I mean, really, when you get this test, like if you see it come back at one, is that, are you considering that bad? Yes. Um, so here is the problem. So most heavy metals are not free floating in the blood. They're trapped inside tissue. That is why most often blood levels, regular urine levels, and sometimes even hair levels can be completely normal and you can still be full of heavy metals. 
Um, and the reason for that is back to what I alluded to earlier. Mercury and molybdenum are competitors, same as lead and calcium. And so what happens is molybdenum and mercury, they compete for the same receptors in the body. Your body will accept either one of them into its open, let's call it alpha receptor. And um, what happens is molybdenum is bigger and heavier and slower than mercury. So when your body has an open receptor, let's say they're both going to race for it, mercury is going to win 99% of the time because it can get there first. And the body does not know nor care that they are different. It cannot tell. Because the way receptors work in the body, it's kind of like, so you have this and you have this. As long as it fits, as long as it doesn't go like this, if it fits, it'll take it. It is nonspecific. It does not care what is on the tail end of that receptor. It just wants something to flood the hole. Okay, so it comes out of a similar chemical structure, essentially. Basically, yeah, that's a good summation. Thank you. Um, and so what happens is your body will start getting mercury packed into all of its cells, and it's going to start excreting molybdenum because it thinks it just has too much molybdenum. It doesn't know that it has mercury. It thinks it has too much molybdenum, starts dumping out molybdenum. And now you have two problems. You have mercury being plugged into your cells, and you have molybdenum being excreted. Molybdenum is used, it has like 30 different functions in the body. It breaks down histamines, sulfites, nitrites. It's used in nerve uh, processes. It's used in the thyroid. It's used in a whole bunch of places. Um, so that's the first problem. You're not going to have any molybdenum. And the second problem is using mercury to build your cells is kind of like building a car with a boat engine. With the hood closed, you cannot tell that there's anything wrong. But you go to start that car and it's not going to start. The cells exist, but they don't function properly. Gotcha. Um, but the problem, but now the mercury's inside the cells. Your body's no longer dumping it. So that's that's so it's not going back. I'm sorry. Yeah. So so it's not so it's not in the blood anymore. It's 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 actually in the cells. Correct. So that blood test, um, when when you get that blood test, if there is mercury in the blood, or if there, so if there isn't, it doesn't mean much. It could mean there's mercury in your cells. Correct. But if it is in the blood, what does that mean? So. In my opinion, unless you've had a acute recent exposure, such as you had a mercury thermometer pop in your face, um, and I'm gonna tell one of my favorite stories about that in a bit, um, but unless you had something pop in your face, um, prop, most likely if you have mercury in your blood, it's because your tissue is so saturated, it's leaching back out. That's So that's scary. So if you have it in your blood and you haven't been acutely exposed to mercury or a heavy metal in general, then most likely it's because you have such high levels that your tissues and cells can no longer take anymore. And so it's just floating around. Basically, yes, all your receptors are full, so there's nowhere for the mercury to go. So so that's probably if you if you get someone with a with a lab test with a mercury of say five, um, that is like a red flag for you to go into further mercury testing. Correct. Okay. If so any heavy metal lead, arsenic, or mercury pop up in the blood, we're definitely doing further testing. Okay. So that's basically, that's blood testing. That's your standard medical testing for heavy metals. Um, Correct. And basically we've covered that. It only shows us if there's either been an acute exposure, if it comes back positive, or if you have very high levels. That's the only thing it can really show us. It doesn't show us that you don't have heavy metals. Correct. Okay. So that could be almost a, a false negative type deal. So if it comes back at zero, it could be False. Yeah, like it's so, true that it's zero in the blood, but not in your body. Yeah, so it can definitely tell you you have it, but can't definitely tell you you don't. 
Okay, gotcha. So that's blood testing. And you mentioned a few other ones in passing. You mentioned uh, urine, Correct. also holder of stool and um, hair tissue mineral analysis, um, yes. I think you mentioned. Yep. So those so, are the other testing. So let's run through those real quickly. Won't, we won't take as long as we did on the blood. Urine testing is basically measuring if you're excreting mercury. Same problem. The mercury in your body is being kept because your body thinks it wants it. And your molybdenum is being dumped out. A molybdenum urine level is actually more sensitive for mercury toxicity than a mercury level. If I have a patient that has low molybdenum, uh, that 90% of the time they have mercury toxicity. Um, same issue with stool. It's only measuring what you're excreting. And hair is relatively the same issue. It is also, hair is also a form of excretion. It's just a much longer time span because a long hair in your head might be years old. Um, so, but so, it's so getting into hair tissue mineral analysis, um, a lot of practitioners use this and I'm, there is a way to do it. Um, there is a way to test for heavy metal toxicity in your body using hair mineral tissue analysis. Um, it's just very difficult and very few people know how to do it. And you can't look at what the actual test says. So the actual test could say you have no mercury um, and your levels of uh, all your other minerals are, you know, variously all over the board. Uh, that does not mean much unless you know how to properly interpret this. Uh, I believe Andy Cutler had a book on this. Um, there is a like a series of minerals you have to look at and basically some are high and some are low and then you, you base them on the structure. And so if X number are high and X number are low, it means you have a very good chance of X heavy metal. So it's very difficult to interpret. There is a way to do it. Um, but it, it really comes down to how heavy metals interrupt uh, mineral flow in the body. And you have to know how and what minerals those heavy metals are interacting with to look at how that is affected in the hair to know what your levels might be of, of that heavy metal in your body. So it is a very difficult test. And if you have a practitioner recommending this and they sit down and they just read the test with you um, and just take it at its face, what the results say, uh, you should probably dive into some research and kind of look into the Andy Cutler method of, of analyzing that test because those tests cannot be taken on their, on their face value. 100%. That comes down to the same thing that I mentioned earlier. You can diagnose mercury toxicity with a low molybdenum in the urine. Okay. Uh, so we've covered urine, stool, uh, hair, and blood, and we've determined that they're all not great. Yep. So, so how do you test? I mean, what, what what's left? You gonna take so, my essence? I mean, actually, we get a seeing eye dog in and it comes and smells you and it tells us. No, I'm kidding. Like, um, this, one, this one smells like mercury. <laughs> honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if dogs could smell it, but <laughs> um, no. So we do what's called a urine provocation test. So this is a quantitative test. Um, we get. So the way this testing works is we get a pre-test urine. Ideally, we get first morning urine, um, but really technically any urine collected the same day before your the rest of the steps will work. Um, so in there, that test, that will also be sent out. They're going to measure how much heavy metals are in the urine. Then you're going to come into the office. We're gonna have you empty your bladder so all urine going forward is fresh. 
Um, we're going to give you an IV of chelation. And there are a couple of different ones. We'll talk about that. Um, but we're going to give you an IV of chelation. And then you're going to collect urine for the next eight hours. Uh, we average eight hours. It's just easier for everyone to remember eight hours than to remember that one type of testing is seven to nine hours while the other is eight to ten. We just stick with eight across the board. Um, and then we're going to send both those out to an independent lab called Doctor's Day. That's my preferred vendor. Um, there are other companies that also do this testing. Um, and then they're going to do uh, gas chromatography. They're going to measure the amount of each heavy metal. There's about 20 that they test for in the urine. And so we're going to get a before and after, and we're going to see exactly how much heavy metals you're excreting um, after the IV of chelation. Because so the, the provocation test is provoking the metals to come out of your body. That's why it's called a provocation test, right? Correct. It's forcing, it's binding to the heavy metals in your tissue and forcing you to excrete them mostly through your urine. Okay. So basically this solves the problem of not knowing what's in the tissues of the cells because we are actually introducing a substance, uh, a pharmaceutical substance or a different substance that can bind to these heavy metals, bring them out of the cells, excrete them through the urine, which we can then measure. Correct. Um, and then I would love, Kyle, if you'd be willing to share your results on our show notes, your before and after, just so people can see what they look like. Yeah. I would share mine. My mercury, when I did my original test, my mercury is very low. So mine is, it's not that fun to look at. <laughs> yeah, um, I can, I can definitely pull mine up and we'll put it, uh, in the show notes or we'll link it in the show notes and it'll be on our, it'll be on our website. Perfect. So we can, we can show that. Um, cause I do have the, I do have the pre-test too. Yep. Um, so we can show where it's like zero, which is a normal, like some people would just give a heavy metals urine test. I would have showed zero, even though I had a high burden because under provocation, that's when the heavy metals came out. We could actually measure them. So I want to point out two things now. The first being we're not, we're not able to measure the amount of heavy metals in your body because it's trapped in numerous tissues. What we are measuring is an excretion amount. We're able to measure how much we can pull out of you and from there deduce how much is left but we cannot precisely measure how much is in you. The, the act of removing heavy metals from your body is not an exact science. Gotcha. Yeah. The only way I know to actually measure the amount of heavy metals in your body is to find the tissue that the heavy metals are in and um, biopsy it post-mortem. <laughs> sure. um, we, we could, but there's two problems with that. One, it no longer matters. And then two, these metals, they scatter throughout your body. The places that I mentioned earlier for each metal, that's just where they tend to accumulate, but they could be everywhere. So whether we sample your heart, your lungs, your pancreas, your kidneys, your bones, your brain, it's not realistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's very expensive to do that uh, kind of analysis. Um, it's done occasionally when um, someone dies and they're suspected of being poisoned. Um, so the authorities will do that kind of analysis. So like, um, they'll usually pick an organ. Like if, if they think it was mercury for some reason, they'll do the brain, mm -hmm. um, and kind of just measure it there. And that'll rule that out for them. Again, does not really matter for us. Um, but the, the main point here is that you can't measure it directly in your body. We can deduce from how much the chelating agent is pulling out. And so the second problem with that, the biggest resistance we get is, well, why do you need an IV to, uh, to show how much is coming out? 
Um, so there's two parts. That is the number one reason why we get a pretest of your urine is showing that you were not in the same day, you were not excreting it beforehand. So that can definitively prove it is coming from inside of you and not because you ate something yesterday that you're currently excreting. Okay. So provocation test is basically what you would say is the gold standard of getting the closest approximation of how high of a heavy metal burden a person has. Yes. Okay. So if, uh, if we do this provocation test, well, let's, let's talk about like how you do it. You know, what, what chemicals there are, what chemicals you use, like what is, what is chelating? Cause we've said chelating and chelating agents quite a few times. Let's, let's go into that a bit so we can kind of fully explain the whole testing process uh, so, so people can understand what we're using. Yeah. So chelation by definition is, um, basically using a anionic surfactant to bond to and remove toxins from your body. So different agents have different properties. So the most widely known one is called EDTA. And please don't ask me what these stand for. They have ridiculously long chemical names. Yeah, they're like 20 characters long or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, so EDTA, it became popular after World War I when all the soldiers were coming back with lead poisoning from the war and dying. So they started doing EDTA treatments on soldiers and found that it worked. And ever since then, so now it's 100 years ago, EDTA has been really well studied since. Um, and so EDTA and the other one is called DMPS, also long chemical name, please don't ask. That one is, I'm not sure if it's a newer one. I'm not sure when this one came into popularity, uh, but it has a different chemical affinity than EDTA. They're almost exactly opposites, actually. And what I mean by affinity is that these chemicals have different metals that they like to attract. For EDTA, lead is the number one thing it likes to bind, and mercury is the lowest thing it likes to bind. It does not like mercury. It'll only bind mercury if there's literally nothing else for it to bind. DMPS loves mercury. It will bind mercury extremely preferentially with tin being its second and arsenic being its third. And lead is somewhere halfway down its list. So that's so, why. Go ahead. So you test for both. You do two provocation tests, one with EDTA and one with DMPS in order to see the total heavy metal burden. Correct. Because if you did just an EDTA and looked at the mercury level on there, and you could just falsely assume it was normal. And that's just because EDTA does not want to bind the mercury. Kyle did do both tests. Um, I'm sure he'd be happy to upload both of them so you guys can see the difference in them. Yeah, my uh, my EDTA test was, um, I came up with, with a little bit of lead. Um, it really wasn't anything shocking though, but mercury was not super elevated like it was on my DMPS test. So that, unfortunately, I get patients that, even patients that have done chelation testing, the way that we're talking about, they'll come in and say, well, I want to continue my chelation because I know I have to do a few more for my lead. And I always ask everyone, have you done DMPS testing with mercury? And they go, oh, I've been tested for mercury. It didn't show anything. I'll get the results. And inevitably, it's just an EDTA test. And so I'll talk to them. We'll do the DMPS testing. If for all my patients, it's a requirement to do both tests. We don't get to pick and choose which test we're doing. And we'll do the mercury test. And sometimes the mercury will be ridiculously high. And, you know, the patients, they're doing chelation. They're wondering why they're not getting better. 
Um, and then we'll start doing the mercury. And because the mercury is so much higher than their lead ever was, start that treatment and they will start to feel better. Gotcha. So to recap, the gold standard for heavy metal testing is a provocation test. A, a, so you take a you take a urine test before to see how much you're excreting naturally. You get the provocation agent, either EDTA or DMPS. Then you take the provocation test. You send that in. It she sees how much your body's excreting. And then you do it again with the other chemical that you didn't do the first round. Correct. Okay. And that will cover the whole gambit of heavy metals, essentially. As a general rule, yes. There's only about 20 we're testing for. There are have more heavy metals out there that we can't test for. Not that we can't, that we don't because they're not as prevalent. Okay. Gotcha. So this this um, is provocation test system. You mentioned EDTA and DMPS. Um, I, I'm assuming that the the treatment will be based on on what they have, what metals they have. Correct. So once we get in both of the results, then we come up with a plan. Um, I so typically most people will need between twenty and thirty IV treatments of whatever their respective elevated agent is. Um, unfortunately, there are some people that need twenty to thirty treatments with both agents because they happen to be high in both metals. Oh goodness! So, so that's a that's a lot of IVs. I mean, that's that's a lot. I mean, I've probably done. 45 plus um, DMPS treatments at this point. Sounds about right. Um, yeah, via IV. Uh, but I've had a bit of a bumpy, a bumpy trajectory in, in getting the number down. It's it's gone down to five, and then all of a sudden it was back up to 13, and it's gone down to seven, and then it's back up to 10. So is that is that kind of normal too? It, it just it's not a straight line. It kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. So there's a couple of different factors. The number one factor, especially for Kyle, is he lost what about 50 pounds? Yeah, 50 to 60 pounds during this process. So um, that, that's a big part of it. Fat will really, fat will store toxins really, really well, and it's not very vascular. So the agents, any oral IV, whatever chelating agents have trouble penetrating your fat to get toxins out of there. So until you lose the weight, it's impossible to get out what's in the fat. You heard it here, folks. You have to go, well, on my quest, I have to go to 3% body fat to get to 100% detox. I have to go to essential levels of body fat. So this is going to be uh, it's going to be part of my goal. I'm not sure if I'll ever get that low, but I'll give it a shot. Um, I'm not involved in that part of his journey. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> so that's part of it. The next part is you can have heavy metals trapped in bone. It takes about 90 days, 90 to 180 days for your bones to really turn over. So... The heavy metals that are in the deeper parts of your bone that got stored in there like 20 years ago, you have to wait for that bone to turn over and turn over and turn over until it releases what's in there. So that could be a longer process if you have, like, say, lead. Correct. Maybe not as frequent, but longer. Yeah. So that's where I kind of recommend, you know, once we have, you know, once we finish your initial rundown, I recommend people come back in about a year or two and retest and we can kind of see where you're at and then go from there. Um, but in the meantime, you get a year or two break from me. You don't have to come see me all the time and get poked. Gotcha. So so we've covered chelation. We've covered testing, hmm. and we've covered chelation, basically what it is. It's the removal of heavy metals from the body. A yep. um, little fun fact there that chelation is, the term came from the Greek word, a claw. So it's kind of like a lobster claw, grabbing your heavy metals hmm. <laughs> and bringing them out. Um, but so we've covered chelation uh, via IV, DMPS, or EDTA, chel chelating agents. 
Now, I think we would be remiss uh, to mention that there are tons of different strategies in our, uh, to, to get heavy metals out of your body, um, some of which are less effective than others. We've talked about IV uh, so far, um, but there's also different camps. Um, and from, from my read of the literature, there's three main camps of how to detox from heavy metals. Um, one of them is the naturopathic camp, um, which I'm, I'm a big believer in naturopathy. Um, there are huge, huge benefits that it can bring in terms of mineral balancing and all kinds of natural compounds that can benefit the body in various different ways. However, when it comes to chelation, um, I am, I'm reticent to, to recommend or even, even, uh, encourage or even say people should at all do the natural method because of the lack of a strong bond. So generally to be considered a true chelator, you need to have two thiol bonds. And those are the things that claw, grab the heavy metal. And a, a lot of, uh, a lot of the natural way to detox heavy metals only have one thiol bond. And so this is uh you'll see this like cilantro. Some people will recommend uh, taking like, like bushels of cilantro and making smoothies with them. Cilantro has one thiol bond. And a lot of times what'll happen is it'll grab heavy metals. It'll pull them out of the cell. It'll pull them out of the tissue and it'll go, Whoa, I lost it because it only has one bond and it'll go float back into the bloodstream, find another cell, find another tissue, make its way back there and it'll redistribute causing other side effects and other symptoms. Is, is that a good summation of that, Dr. K? Yeah, the medical term for that is called redistribution, but that's exactly it. Redistribution, okay. So, and some other, some other um, natural agents uh, have this same effect. Um, so if you do have, if you do do a provocation test and you do have heavy metals, I would not recommend going the natural quote unquote route uh, for this. There are more natural alternatives if you want to try to avoid pharmaceuticals. However, I do recommend uh, DMPS or EDTA based on your based on your heavy metal burden as the most effective route. So I just want to make a point there that honestly, if you have a, if your doctor is recommending that you go the supplement route with things like cilantro, spirulina, and all that stuff, uh, ask if whatever supplement they're recommending has had a challenge test done against it. What I mean by challenge test is you have a patient do a DMPS testing protocol, get their initial mercury, go through the oral supplement challenge, and then retest with DMPS at the end and see if their levels have shifted. I actually, so little side note, I won't say the company, I won't say the brand, um, but I was at a conference, they were touting their new natural supplement as the latest and greatest oral chelator, saying all the other ones are bad and terrible and don't work. So I said, you know what? My wife is high, she hates IVs, she's uh, afraid of needles. Um, so I said, you know what, let's give it a shot. We already had a baseline mercury level of her at uh, 20. And so we, uh, we start her, she does, I think three months of this oral chelating agent. And then I do another TMPS challenge test on her. Kyle can take a guess at what her mercury was after that. Let me guess. It stayed exactly the same 20. It stayed exactly the same. It was 20 to 20. Oof. yikes. So three months of, of this natural chelating agent with quotations, and there was no actual chelation. Happening. No, unfortunately not. I was hopeful. I would love to have a good alternative supplement for my patients. I have not found one yet. Okay. So that's, that's basically camp, 
and one is the natural way to detox from heavy metals. Um, and if we want to, if anybody wants to dive in more with this, you're, you're welcome to reach out to us. Um, and we can explain why and how that does not work as effectively as uh, we would like it to. Um, there is a small chance that you will excrete some small level of heavy metals. And in, in your wife's case, she probably was excreting a very small amount of heavy metals, but it was probably exactly equal to the amount that she was accumulating through her life in the environment. <laughs> Most likely. So it was literally keeping her at maintenance, which might make a natural approach best for those who have finished chelation uh, fully and just want to make sure they stay at maintenance. Absolutely. That's the best way to not have to come see me ever again once you're done. There you go. So that's probably the best use for that. Now, the another camp um, we've already talked about, which is the IV EDTA or DMPS. We've talked about that protocol. Uh, the third main camp of heavy metal detox or heavy metal chelation is the Andy Cutler method. So the Andy Cutler method, he is this guy who, um, I don't know if he died of heavy metal poisoning, but it, it, it kind of makes it sound like this because his son kind of wrote the final book on it. Um, but basically he didn't, he didn't finish. He stopped because he had a bad reaction to chelation. Um, so what he recommends is using a, using a supplement um, called called ALA, alpha lipoic acid, to bind and pull out the heavy metals. And alpha lipoic acid is a true chelator. It does have two thiol bonds and it will bind very effectively. And uh, it does not redistribute really dis uh, given my read of the, read of the literature. Um, however, it's a very slow process and it's very exacerbated. Um, so, so a lot of what we see in ALA is the benefit is it crosses the blood brain barrier. And from what I can read on DMPS and EDTA is they don't effectively cross the blood brain barrier, uh, especially DMPS. It seems to be pretty clear. It doesn't cross the blood brain barrier, meaning it has problems pulling the heavy metals, the mercury specifically out of your brain. Um, so, so the Andy Cutler method is, is basically you can use DMPS or EDTA, but he recommends just ALA. Um, to detox your whole body. However, his method takes anywhere from two to 10 years, depending on your, your burden. Um, and it's, uh, it's not fun. I can, I can tell you from experience, pulling heavy metals out of your brain before you've pulled them all out of your body is not an enjoyable way to do it because symptoms are greatly exacerbated. So this ALA method, um, I mean, for, for our ultimate recommended method, for chelation and and if you're tracking with me, uh, just let me know after I finish this is basically you test, you do a provocation test, you see where you are and you chelate using EDTA or DMPS, depending on what you need or both until you get these numbers, sub five, sub four, sub three, sub two, maybe even close to one. And when you get them there after doing more provocation tests, then you move on to ALA supplementation to pull the to pull the heavy metals out of your brain. Um, is that, is that a good summation of a, a highly effective protocol? That's what I do with my patients. There you go. So the one thing you need to know, uh, about ALA supplementation and, and if you want to dive into the Andy Cutler method, we'll put some resources in the show notes, um, on some books he has. Um, honestly, they're, they're fairly expensive. Uh, it's like a 50 or $60 book. Um, we're going to release a guide on exactly how to do this most effectively um, for for less than that. So you can just hang on and <laughs> we'll have that out eventually. Um, but the most important thing to consider with that is 
they need to be dosed on a cyclical schedule. So ALA needs to be dosed on its half-life, which is about every three hours. So it, it's not fun because you have to set a clock, you have to set alarms and take your ALA every three hours. You can stretch it to four hours at night uh, for three days. And then you take about a three or four day break and then you do another cycle. And uh, this is, uh, it's not a fun protocol, but it is effective at removing heavy metals from your brain. Um, did I did I cover the Andy Cutler method pretty well? I think so. I don't have anything to add to that. Yeah. So if, if you guys want more information, um, please comment or send us a question on Instagram um, or an email and we'll, we can, we might even do a more in-depth episode on, on specifics uh, if, if it's requested. But the ALA protocol, in my opinion, in Dr. K's is great to follow up after you've removed all the heavy metals from your body. Um, now let's talk about uh, chelation support. So yep. chelation is not, I've mentioned a few times, it's not fun. Um, so what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean, Dr. K? Like it's not fun. What, what happens? What are side effects? What, what can happen? So actually, before we jump down that road, I want to bring up one question I'm sure we're going to get. You've mentioned, and I've mentioned, heavy metals in the brain. And so what about the blood-brain barrier? Doesn't that keep things out of the brain? Are you asking me? I am asking you. Oh, generally, generally, yeah, generally it does. Um, but for some reason, the, the mercury and specific heavy metals are smaller and able to pass through the blood-brain barrier, where the molecule of DMPS is too large to pass that barrier. Correct. Um, so that, and also just for general knowledge, the blood-brain barrier is not fully impermeable. Things can pass through it. Anything small enough can and will pass through. Yeah. So this is things like uh, nicotine, caffeine, a lot of things pass the blood-brain barrier. And I give nicotine and caffeine because those are just things you can feel quickly passing your blood-brain barrier. Um and, and if you have mercury in your brain and you take ALA, you'll be able to feel it. <laughs> you'll be able to feel it in your head. Trust me. <laughs> um, okay. On so, that note. You're back to your question. That, um, well, I, I actually do want to cover on ALA real, real quick. Um, you can buy this at like the vitamin shop. Um, be very careful. So they, they sell it at crazy milligram dosages at the vitamin shop. So Andy Cutler recommends people start at like 25 milligrams or 15 or two <laughs> very low dosages. Um, I usually like to start around 25 and see how they see how it's tolerated and then go up from there. Um, capping out about 300 milligrams. Now, if you just go buy it at the vitamin shop, chances are you're going to buy two or three or 600 milligrams. And that can really mess you up if you haven't done the work to remove all the heavy metals from your body first. Um, so I, I would mention to be careful with that, uh, the dosage. Um, so where were we going next? Remind me. We were going to talk about side effects and all that. Yeah, side effects. How does it feel to chelate? Um, I call the first third of chelation to suck because it sucks. Um, honestly, it, it's not a fun process, especially in the beginning. Um, people kind of fall into one of three categories when they start. And this applies to oral or IV. Um, I'd say about 40% of people, 40 to 50% of people don't feel much, maybe a little bit of fatigue or brain fog or something. Nothing crazy. Um, nothing that stops them from getting through their day. About 
30 to 40% of people, they feel worse before they feel better. Um, usually the first third of the treatments, they feel worse. And what I mean by worse varies anywhere from, like I mentioned, you know, slightly more than mild fatigue enough where they have to actually sit down, take a break, take a nap, whatever throughout the day, all the way up to, I've unfortunately had a couple people that uh, the first, the very first IV we did, they were so sick, they couldn't get out of bed for three or four days. Um, and typically it's an exacerbation of your symptoms. You know, if you have brain fog, you get more brain fog. If you have um, cognitive issues, memory loss, you may have more of those. Um, if you have nausea, you may get more nausea, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's no way to determine who's going to have that reaction until you do the first IV and see how they react. So typically anyone that I'm worried about, I always start them with a uh, half dose just to try and minimize their effects. And then the last 20 or so percent of people, these are lucky ones. They start to feel better immediately. Unclear why, don't know, um, but they will start to feel from baseline better than they uh, they do. Okay, so. so my mom was actually, she fell into like uh, one of these very lucky categories because she had a pretty high mercury of, of 24. Yep. Um, she also had amalgams in. Um, and so she she chelated and had zero symptoms. No fatigue, nothing. Is, do you see that too? Yeah, so th that's the first category I mentioned. My wife is the same thing. Um, we do IVs on her. She doesn't feel a thing. Um, actually, we did uh, we did some Andy Cutler protocol on her, and doing the oral, she had. I didn't actually I haven't told you this. This happened on Monday. She had severe rebound effects when she came off of it. Wow, interesting. So maybe the oral is um is preferentially pulling some out of her gut. Um, no, so hers were all mental issues. Um, oh. what, what I think, yeah. well, here's, here's my theory. When you do the IV, it's a, it binds within seconds to minutes and you spend the next few hours excreting it. When you do the orals, one, your body has to process and absorb it. So it's absorbed slower. And so it's got this like long time span of binding and then this long time span of excreting and you keep re-upping and re-upping and re-upping, building the amount of floating toxin then so once you come off it whatever's left floating slams you gotcha okay so that makes sense so um basically you can feel any range depending on your specific body from nothing from chelation to exacerbation of your symptoms to a pretty bad reaction um correct those those bad reactions is this why when i search chelation on google all the things are like beware don't do it it's dangerous Probably yes. Um, chelation done improperly is very dangerous. Um, missing, messing up your doses, um, doing the wrong chemicals, timing them wrong, all sorts of things can be dangerous. Uh, please make sure that whoever you see for chelation is certified and knows what they're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you did say, say you, um, say you had someone who was presenting severe mental symptoms and you think it's mercury, um, uh, you would normally do, you mentioned you would do a half dose um, just to kind of ease them into it. So say you did a full dose on that person and slammed it as opposed to administering it over a, a controlled period of time. That could be potentially fatal. Yes. Um, so this brings me up to, I had a patient uh, years ago. This is right when I was first starting out in this world. Um, the end of the story is that he had undisclosed psychiatric conditions. Um, he did not tell me about them. You know, I, I go over a comprehensive history of my patients. He, apparently he, I don't know, whatever, he did not tell people about this problem. Um, his wife ended up telling me later. 
Um, but we did, he just, he wanted the triculation just for general well-being. You know, he'd heard about it, thought it'd be good for him to get the head metals out. So we do a, um, we do an IV and um, he doesn't say anything when we're doing the IV. And then I call him a couple days later to check in on him and he doesn't pick up. Like, oh. And he never calls back. Finally, like a week or two later, he calls me back and goes, I had the worst week of my life in terms of psychiatric issues, severe depression, suicidal thoughts. Um, basically said he was, that was the closest there ever been in his life to committing suicide. And, um, you know, I was like, what, what, where is this coming from? And at that point, he still did not want to tell me that he had a baseline of this. Um, but he told me that basically from the second the IV started, those thoughts started. Hmm. So, so it's not just about finding an important, uh, finding a good practitioner that knows what they're doing, but it's also about being upfront with them and disclosing exactly what symptoms you have and, and right. actually preparing that practitioner so they can administer the correct dosage, the correct provocation test and what you need for proper treatment. Correct. Yeah. Um, that's exactly it because someone like him, that is not someone I've ever done chelation with to start with. Um, and I probably would have also prepared him better if I had known that that was a baseline issue. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, we've talked about symptoms. Now, what can people expect in terms of, of relief? What can they get back? Can they expect full resolution of all their symptoms they come in? Or if they don't have symptoms, but they have a high heavy metal burden, what can they expect from that? Maybe optimization? Yeah, so uh, let's start with people that don't have symptoms. Um, so this is my, one of my favorite ones. She was one of my favorite patients. Um, she comes to me, she actually came to me to have her hip injected and um, no, no idea why or anything about chelation. She and I just get to talk and she goes, oh, I didn't know you do all this other stuff. Um, you know, let's, let's test my heavy metals. Let's see where I'm at, you know, just that curiosity. So I test her, her mercury comes back the second highest I've ever seen. Um, mercury of like 160. Um, and as far as we knew, she had no symptoms. Now she was a snowbird. So, you know, we we're doing half years at a time. Um, but after the first like year and a half, um, she and I are just talking. She goes, you know, I didn't realize, you know, how much mental distress and brain fog and all this other stuff I had until it's gone away. Because now I'm sitting here looking at financial documents and other things I've signed. And I'm thinking, so wow, was I dumb for signing these? Because now I can comprehend what they were. So even if you're not exactly experiencing or realizing their symptoms, there's probably a level of optimization and clarity on the other side of removing your heavy metals that you're not even expecting. Correct. I get that all the time. I didn't realize how much brain fog I had until it was gone. Yeah. No, so this no, is, this goes back to homeostasis, right? So even if you're, if you're not feeling great, your body will just normalize that and you will, that'll be your normal. Correct. You won't realize you're not feeling great. Yep. Um, so now those are people that have no symptoms. Now the people that do have symptoms, you know, is it possible to attribute 100% of someone's symptoms to heavy metals? Absolutely not. Um, but if heavy metals are the primary driver behind your symptoms, then yes, the removal of them will lead to extreme improvements in quality of life. Yeah. So this is what I've experienced. I got improperly diagnosed with mold poisoning. Um, well, I say improperly. The, the techniques used to diagnose me weren't proper. Uh, maybe not, maybe not the symptoms or symptomology of it. Um, but it turns out that the driver behind a lot of my issues was not the mold. It was actually the mercury. And when we pulled the mercury out, all of my mold symptoms went away. Yep. 
So we're going to have a whole episode about mold, and we're going to talk about the connection between mold and heavy metals. But basically, the summation, the way that mold survives in the body is it binds to heavy metals. It acts as a parasite on them. And uh, so until you remove the heavy metals, mold will always be a problem. We just keep rebinding to heavy metals. Gotcha. Okay, so I think we've covered we've covered natural methods. We've covered IV. We've covered uh, the Andy Cutler method. Uh, the last thing I think we should cover is oral DMPS and or other methods of administering, um, say, EDTA. Um, do you, I mean, I, I think you've started using these um, in the past year or two. Um, have you found them effective or, or what are you seeing with them? You mentioned your so, wife is taking them. Uh, yeah, she is taking them. Um, realistically, the problem, there's oral and then there's suppository versions of all of them. We've been doing testing on them for years. We've had patients refuse to IVs and insist on oral or suppositories. Um, so we'll do we'll do provocation tests with them. Um, the biggest problem is that they are far far slower than um, doing IVs. Um, not to say that they don't eventually work, but similar to what you mentioned with the Andy Cutler method, it will take you somewhere from two to five years if you're going to go oral only, just because it takes. Was it about five times longer with an oral? Yeah, yeah. So I've seen the, some of the bioavailability studies on these, and it's um, you need about 600 milligrams or 700 milligrams of oral to equal about 250 milligrams of IV. Um, and usually you don't want to dose that high on a, on a single day unless you really know what you're doing uh, and you've tested it and you've worked up to it. Um, so it, it can take much, much longer to, to pull them metals out as opposed to getting, you know, a few IVs a week. Yep. So that's the first problem. The second problem is, and I can't prove this one. Um, I don't think anyone's proven it yet that I know of. Kyle, you might know a study. I don't. Um, but basically the problem is your body doesn't really want to absorb these things, oral, EMPS, EDTA, DMSA, uh, DMSO, all these things that exist, but your body doesn't want them. So it's going to do its best to not allow them out of your GI tract. So they can bind the heavy metals that are in your GI tract, but they're not gonna bind the things in your brain and your heart and your bones um, because they're not making it that far. Mm -hmm. So I, I do believe, I haven't seen a study on it. I do believe that they do bind to things outside your gut to some degree, but not nearly as effective as the, as the IV. Um, I'm, and again, this is where like, if you finished your IV protocol um, and maybe combined it with a little oral, depending on, you know, price ranges or availability to good doctors. Um, when you, when you finish up with the ALA, um, this is, that's another benefit of the ALA because of how small of a molecule it is. It'll cross the, it'll cross the gut barrier as well as the blood brain barrier. So it'll circulate through your body extremely quickly. It's absorbed into your body, something like 20 minutes after you take it. Um, so it, it distributes very well. So the oral is, um, not the best approach. But why, why would someone do oral DMPS or EDTA suppositories or something like that? Why would they? What, what would be the reason? So if you're going to get this stuff prescribed from a doctor, it's not actually any cheaper. It's roughly the same cost. I would know because I had to order this from my wife because she would not do the IVs. Um, we've come to a standstill with those. And when I, even at my cost of ordering um, the stuff, and as a doctor that's contracting these companies and buying all this stuff in bulk, um, I do get stuff cheaper. It's coming out to within 15% of the price of an IV. So it's not any money savings. Really the biggest reason to do the oral stuff is if you're deathly afraid of needles or have no access to someone that can do IV chelation on you. Yeah, that's that's probably the biggest one to have no access because there's, um, 
I mean, it, I've seen a lot of doctors that offer, well, a lot of doctors don't even know about chelation or, or how to do it. And then I'll, a lot of the doctors that do know how to do it um, seem to be not on optimal protocols, dosages, or really know how to manage the safety aspect of, of treatment with their patients. Yep. So that's, that's a very important one. Um, you know, oral would be one that you could work with. Um, you could probably work with Dr. K or something. We could figure out something like that uh, for a more remote treatment. If you can't make it into an office or find a provider that's a, uh, that's very excellent at what they do in order to do the IV treatment. So we've covered oral, natural, IV, Andy Cutler. What else is there? What do we talk about? Did we finish it? I think we're done. I'm, I'm out of ideas to talk about right now. <laughs> well, right on. We've already gone over an hour. So um, we won't take any more of your time. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, if you have any questions, again, uh, just shoot us a message on Instagram or uh, email. Uh, check out our website. And signing off, this is Coach Kyle. And this is Dr. K. Thanks, everybody, for listening.